The following program is a podcast1.com production. It's great you're with us today on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up in 20 minutes on today's Clark Rages Moment. When something's on sale and you're promised you're saving 60%, do you know that can likely be the big lie? I'm going to tell you what you need to know to protect your wallet in just 20 minutes. And coming up a half hour from now, I hate lines. I hate lines. And now technology is coming to the rescue at more and more places to do away with the line. I want to tell you about something that is one of those things where a problem that we have creates so many potential solutions. And I use it as an example, first as a practical thing, and then second, I want to get in your head about what kind of things out there are problems right now that maybe you have the creative solution to. So as we know, we buy a lot of stuff from China and other places in Asia that come over in those giant shipping containers. And if you've ever been around a U.S. seaport, you will see adjacent to the port an area, there may be several areas, where Shipping containers are stacked as far as you can see. They make a one-way trip here from Asia, and they just sit on this vacant land. Well, now people are getting more and more creative about what to do with them. Months ago, I told you about the architect in Houston who was taking shipping containers and turning them into affordable housing. And a lot of other people are now looking at that also and saying, hey, we can actually turn these things into nice homes. There's a startup called Box House that has a home they make That's $49,000, including shipping. That's right. They ship your home to you after they have built it. They take the shipping containers, and they cut out places for windows. They put in nice floors. They build, uh, you know, all the plumbing in them. And you're able to have a very, very potentially affordable house. And there are things like that always. Something that's a problem that creates opportunity. We have an enormous problem with having affordable housing in the United States. So there are people coming up with ways to use something that's a problem. All these shipping containers and take them from being a problem to a solution. Maybe you have an idea of something you can do with these unloved shipping containers 
to make them really useful. And I think about all the things in life where we see a problem that becomes somebody else's solution. Think about the people that are taking things like, you know how all over the country we have the problem with people dumping tires, illegally dumping tires? And then there are others who take tires and turn them into other uses? How about you? What do you see that something that other people see only as a bother, a problem, an aggravation, that you see opportunity? Jerry joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Very well. I have a question regarding investment of money. Okay. My mother, who's in her early 90s, just sold her house, and she'll have about $75,000 cash cleared. Uh, She really doesn't need this money. She has some money in mutual funds. She has some CDs. Of course, she gets Social Security. And she's moving into a senior uh, housing area that is uh, HUD housing, so it'll be a minimum cost for her. The question is, where is a good place to put the $75,000? What is her ultimate goal? Is it for you as a son or you one of several siblings to inherit? Or is it to generation skip and have grandchildren inherit? Is it to give money to charity? My guess is I'm the only child and my father's dead and that any funds that she will have at her death will go to me. Okay. And from what you're indicating, she's set financially. This is just like surplus money. Correct. All right. So I would say to you the answer is actually a different one than I would normally give because normally what I say, Jerry, when I get a question about uh, an aging parent who has money, most of the time that parent is going to need that money to live on probably at some point within the next five years or sometimes uh, next 10 years. So in her case, not needing the money and that money ultimately flowing to you, it would make sense for you to develop an investment strategy that would work for your life. And at the time you would inherit, you would already have the money invested with a longer-term goal in mind. So let's put the shoe on the other foot for a second. What would you, if you suddenly had $75,000, is there an immediate need in your life, or is it a something where you're in a position to invest for long-term with that money? I'm in a position to invest uh, long-term. I'm okay. retired, and I, uh, I'm financially stable. Hmm. So you really don't need the money either. No, I don't. All Not right. at this time. Okay. Uh, do you have children that it would be better that they inherit this money, that it could be more valuable to them in their lives? Well, yes. I do have children, and, of course, they have children. Um, and uh, they're in their, most of them are in their early 40s, late 30s. Okay. With that age range, they can usually use some money because they're in a true squeeze play. Correct. So uh, I think the the answer to your question is completely unrelated to what you asked me. And that is, I think uh, with your mom being in her 90s, having this life change moving into the senior high rise, 
with the fact that this is money that you she doesn't need and you don't need, it's time for you to go with her to sit down with a lawyer to work on a will for her and determine what will happen with her assets at the time of her death. Well, And then that would control... Sorry? She does have a will. How long ago was that will done? Oh, within the last five years. And do you... And do I'm you, also a power of attorney. Okay. So in that will, you said the money flows to you. Correct. I think you should go visit a lawyer and look at having the money flow to the next generation. Well, uh, I've thought about that, but I don't think she's willing to do that at this time. Okay. She wants you to have it because she trusts you with the money more than the next generation? Well, I think so. And okay. I think she's, she's of that depression era, uh, and she basically holds on to her money. Okay. Because with you inheriting it, ultimately, and you being power of attorney, and her looking to you for guidance, as you would invest your money, and I'm thinking more in the range of uh, stock uh, funds, you know, stock mutual funds, something along those lines. However you would invest your money is the guidance you should give to her for this money because ultimately it's going to be yours anyway. Yes. So you establish... Uh, how do you invest... Since you're living free and clear and, and money's not an issue for you, how do you invest your money? Uh, well, I have... Um a mutual funds then then that's exactly what you should do if you're comfortable in that uh, in that area then that's what you should do with this 75,000 knowing that it will be pretty seamless at the time that you would inherit and let's hope what kind of health is your mom in Jerry excellent let's hope that she makes the century mark and beyond okay Sherry is with us hi Sherry how are you doing I'm doing just great, Clark. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully, Sherry. How can I make your day even better? Well, help me. <laughs> I have no credit. I After I got divorced, I swore off credit cards. So I've gotten in. So I need to build up my credit. I need to know how to start. Okay. What purpose are you trying to achieve by building up credit? Well, um... For one, I I do not have a credit score. I pay cash for everything. Okay. And I I get calls from people who say that I I need a mental adjustment because I always talk about credit score, credit score, how to raise your credit score and all that. And, And so the question for you is, is there a specific need in your life that you hope to meet with borrowed money that you've got to get to where you have a decent credit score? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a a short-time listener. I just discovered you about five months ago, and so I've started a Roth account. Congratulations! Yeah, and I've got a savings account, I've got a checking account, and and so, you know, I mean, eventually I want to be able to work towards purchasing a home. That, that, that That is the, I was trying to prompt you to get what was the goal you were trying to reach, because... The reason that's important is it takes uh, typically about a year and a half to two years to uh, try to establish that beachhead 
of mm-hmm. having a, a credit file with a decent credit score from where you've had uh, what they call thin file, no file, where it's mm-hmm. like, who are you if somebody goes to pull up a credit report on you? Exactly. All right. Are you a member of a credit union yet? Yes. All right. Go to the credit union. Don't just show up. Make an appointment with a loan officer. Mm-hmm. And sit down with a loan officer and tell him or her exactly what you told me, that you want to establish a credit record. Mm -hmm. And what I find works best in the credit union environment, and they seem to be the only ones that are really interested in helping people in the way that I'm talking about, is that you say, "I, I need to establish a credit record. Could I open a Visa or MasterCard account with you secured by a CD or savings account at the credit union. Okay. Because if they'll do that, that is the quickest way to you establishing a credit score and credit record. Okay. Because the non-credit union alternative is you have to get a product that can sometimes be kind of sleazy, unless you're really careful out there, called a secured card. Mm-hmm. Where you get a Visa or MasterCard where you'll usually have a significant annual fee, and you will post money on deposit and with a legitimate secured card for usually 12 to 18 months. You have to be on time every month. Mm-hmm. And if you are, then you graduate to a regular Visa or MasterCard. Okay. So that is the alternative. But the credit union path is much cleaner and much better. Okay. And I, I'm so excited, Sherry, by what you told me about everything you've accomplished in your life in five short months of listening to the show. Sale, sale, sale. Do I love sales? But there can be a gotcha in them, and that's why it's today's Clark Rageous Moment. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous Moment. You know, people respond to sale prices, sale items. And retailers routinely get in trouble for listing false discounts on merchandise. And the latest to get a spotlight on it is Amazon. Amazon is now facing a study by Consumer Watchdog that found that one-fourth of the items, they surveyed thousands of items, that one-fourth still are listing was-is. I'm looking at Amazon right this second. Save up to 50% on this item. Save 25% or more. Save 60%. Let's see, what else do we have? 56% off, 24% off, 68% off, 44% off. You get the idea. We respond to those kind of things with a sense of urgency, where we see something listed. Oh, here's one. Look at this. 68% off the one next to it, 75% off. The reality is, most of the time, it's just hype. So what I want you to know, when you are looking at an item that is supposedly a screaming deal on sale, I want you to not take that as the buy signal. I want you to take that as the comparison shopping signal where somebody claims 
an item is at a massive discount, whether it's Amazon or anybody else, go comparison shop that item and see if it really is. There was something my wife wanted that I went looking for, and a store said they had it 20% off. But then I went to Frugal, F-R-O-O-G-L-E dot com, and I put in the item, and it turned out somebody else was selling it $30 cheaper than the place that was telling me that it was a big discount. But I never would have known that if I hadn't comparison shopped. And if you don't comparison shop and you waste your money, that's the ultimate Clark Rage. Hey, this is Roxy Diaz. And this is Nina Parker. Now, we are two pop culture veterans who love nothing more than talking about the latest trending topics. Now, we're talking about everything. The relationships, music, celebrities. And maybe the banana pics I get in my DMs. <laughs> I don't know. We're talking about everything. All right. Now, you get to join us every week on our new podcast, Little Black Dress with Roxy and Nina. Check out new episodes on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on iTunes. Guys, it's the Little Black Dress because every, every woman has one. I'm so glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. ClarkDeals.com, our bargain site. And you know it's not a deal to me. Ever, ever waiting in a line. I hate lines. I'll go somewhere where there are lines. And most people, human nature being what it is, people go find the longest line they can get in and they stand in it. I, on the other hand, with my line phobia, I walk around and see, what is the best line? Which one should I be in in a place where there's multiple lines? And actually, often, I'll walk in somewhere and I'll see a line and I turn around and leave. I went to a popular burger place yesterday, day before, and I walk in, and the line was all the way out the door. And I looked, three registers, only one open. What did I do? I left, and I went and ate somewhere else. I was not going to wait in that line. So I dread going somewhere where lines are part of the deal. Amusement parks have always been the one that could give me nightmares where you get in a line and you go through that corral kind of arrangement, I guess they call that, where you go on and on and on and on and on, twisting back and forth. Oh, So they know that in the amusement park business. And Universal and Disney are in an arms race to eliminate the lines. They call them queueless weights or virtual lines. A lot of experimentation going on. One thing Universal is reportedly doing is doing these armbands that alert you when it's your turn to come to an attraction. I mean, that's just so smart. Disney years ago went to the thing where you basically got a sped-up ticket that would give you an appointment time and you'd go to that item, that that ride item. <laughs> I'm such a merchant item. Anyway, this is good stuff. 
I think about all the times we have to deal with government, and you're in those lines. When I took my daughter to the driver's license place, you walk in and you just can't believe the lines that are there. And that kind of stuff should so be automated. And you should be able to make an appointment routinely. It shouldn't be like, isn't it great we let you make an appointment? And actually, have you served at that appointment time? But you know, it's digressing, but you know my favorite thing for anything like driver's licenses or, or anything like that? Privatize them and allow competition. Allow, under state supervision, allow private operators to run those kind of services and give them a price range they can charge and let people decide where they want to go. I can guarantee you the long waits and lines for government services would be reduced to near nothing if they were determined and run in the free market. Ernest is with us. Hello, Ernest. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show. Hello. How are you doing, Howard? I'm doing great, thank you, Ernest. You have a question about housing for me, is that right? Uh, yes, sir. I uh, have a few rentals in uh, New Mexico, but I have a son in the service, and um, he needs a house, and he wants me to buy a house, and it's 100 miles away from where I live. It, would it be a good investment? Would I get tax write-offs on something like that? He has, uh, I don't know if I told you, he has four kids. Wow. You, which means you have four grandkids. Congratulations. Well, I have more than that. <laughs> so, wow. But, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help him so he don't have to pay rent. But, uh, well, okay, so let me tell you some things about how the law works. Okay, you can buy this property and two hours away from you. He can live in it. You have to charge your son rent. But let me tell you how you can get around that. So let's say if you were charging what the normal rent would be in the marketplace where he is, what would that be? 800 a month, 1000 a month, 500 a month, 1200 Probably around 800 Okay. So you have to charge him the 800 a month. You got to write up a, a simple little lease. You charge him the 800 He needs to write you a check for $800 a month. But... You are allowed to give any living being, doesn't even have to be a relative, up to $14,000 each year. You can just give it to him. So as long as he's paying you the real rent and he's writing you that check every month, you're fine with the government. They're all fine with you. You get the tax advantages of you owning the property and... You just give him money from time to time when you want to. Don't ever have him pay you $800 in rent and turn right around and write him a check for 800 The IRS would eat you up for that. But if you like give him a $2,000 check and then a few months later you give him another $1,000 check or whatever, you give him money irregularly but no more than 14000 a year, you have done something completely legal and you get all the tax advantages 
of owning that property. And, so, and at the end of uh, paying this house, could I just give it to him? Well, there's different rules if you want to give him the house later. But yes, if you get to a point you want to just give him the house, um, there are certain things you can look at. One of the easiest is you sell him the house, you have a mortgage, and then each year you send him money that covers paying the mortgage, and in your will, you give him the house. Okay. And let me ask you something now. I have three sons. Is it better to go through a trust when you have a... I have 14 rentals, and I have enough land to set uh, more mobile homes because they're all mobile homes where I live at, uh, and I wanted to set more. Is it good to go through a trust instead of just a will? Well, you can do a trust, and one of the issues is if you have these many rental properties you might want to have the rental properties in what's known as an LLC anyway, a limited liability company, because you're developing some real wealth from this, aren't you? Uh, Yes, sir. And so the risk, when people realize you have money, somebody gets hurt at one of your rentals, who are they going to come try to eat up? Tenant, Uh, Tenant or, yeah. So you either have to have a lot of liability insurance, or you... Instead of owning the properties directly, you have the rentals inside what's known as an LLC. Your situation is one that calls for what I call success tax, meaning I want you to go sit down with a lawyer and go over everything you've got, the fact that you've got these three kids, you want all of them to be in a good position when you are gone, and come up with a plan that meets those goals, and at the same time while you're living, that keeps you out of harm's way if somebody wants to come try to eat you up and sue you. Heather is with us. Hello, Heather. How are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you? Great, Heather. You're selling your own car. My mother-in-law's car. Oh. So aren't you sweet to do all the hassle of selling your mother-in-law's stuff? I am just a gift. I guess so. So, my question is, in selling the car, and and we're looking at about $15,000 for the value of the car, um, how to take payment? Because I'm I'm a little reticent to take a personal check. Right, and and a cashier's check is no better than a personal check Exactly. That's kind of what I had heard. So, I'm not quite sure how to go from there. All right. There's two strategies. One is a bank wire to you. Okay. Bank wire is, you know you're getting collected funds, it's your money. Okay. That's one. And the other is to meet the buyer at the buyer's bank. You sit down with one of those people at those fancy desks they have in the bank branches. Right. (laughs) And you sign two copies of a bill of sale. You each sign a copy of the bill of sale. You have the VIN on it, the mileage on it, the price. The seller's name, the buyer's name, all that. You each sign each copy. Uh And then the bank officer gives you a real bank check right then and there in the bank branch. Well, that sounds like the ideal thing. I love that idea. And by the way, what I just recommended with the face-to-face in person at the bank branch or credit Uh union, that's what I recommend to the buyer as well. Because a buyer, think about if you're a buyer... 
and you get conned by a fake seller, you want to you want to be doing business with somebody right there. Uh, you have a clear title to the to your mother in law's vehicle. Yes, we do. So you know you're signing it over right there. It creates a level of trust where everybody can be confident and comfortable when you do I, it face to face. I love like that. this. This is perfect. That absolutely answers my question. Well, I am so glad. Thank you so very much. Sure, for your Heather. Help. Our number is 877-87-CLARK, and DJ joins us. DJ, you're a tenant that's going to become an owner. Is that true? Yes, sir, that's correct. I love that. Or at least I'm trying to. Tell me the scoop. So the scoop is uh, the landlord occupies the other half, and at this point, my wife and I are unfortunately unable to get a mortgage, and they are willing. the landlord is willing to carry the loan for us until we can qualify for a mortgage. Okay, so we got some uh, potential sand traps here, but a great thing because one of the things here is you are going to, in one purchase, have a place to live and have an investment property as well. Yes, sir, that's correct. I love that. I love I it when... That's why I give you a call. You, when you can buy a property... Like, that's why I've always loved houses that have, like, a garage apartment or a carriage apartment where you, in one fell swoop, are buying a place to live and an investment. Sure. So in this case, your landlord would then become your tenant? Yes, sir, that's correct. I love it. All right. <laughs> so so you would take out a mortgage with the landlord. Would they want a balloon on it? Or how long would they be willing to carry the note? At this point, they're willing to carry it for a couple of years if needed. Uh, and talking to my mortgage broker, we're looking at a, approximately a year to a year and a half before we would be able to potentially get a purchase loan. Give yourself leave. a little more wiggle room than that. Okay. You want to give yourself, because who knows what market conditions are going to be like in the United States sure. over the next few years. If you put yourself into a balloon that was 24 months and two years comes and you can't get a loan, that's a real problem. Right. So if you I, want to, I want to protect myself and figure out how I can do this without ending right. up uh, typical, the on typical, the stick. All right. Typical situation is the seller financing has a balloon at five, seven, or ten years. Okay. So they have, um, they have their money tied up for from five to ten years, and if they really don't want to be a bank then you want to negotiate for five years because that okay. gives you some time. You want to, as soon as you qualify, to get a, a loan of your own sooner rather than later because right. interest rates aren't going to stay at these fake levels forever. Sure. So I just wouldn't want you to be in a 24-month countdown clock and you can't get that financing at that point. And right. five-year right. money... Let's just say the landlord is willing to go out five years. You're mm-hmm. going to be paying them what percent interest? Uh, right now, we're talking about 4%. Okay. Uh, if you ha- even if you had to, in order to get a longer period of time, the landlord would carry the paper, it's mm-hmm. worth it to you to pay the landlord 5% to get five-year money out of the landlord. Okay. And so that's more the- important to you then the headline interest rate is knowing you've got five years for your credit to get to a point where you can get a mortgage that you want. Sure. So how do I go about structuring this? Do I need to go to a title company and have them... 
open escrow kind of my thing? Fav- my favorite is for a situation like this that you go to a lawyer who does real estate law. Okay. And it won't take him or her much clock time to draw up a proper agreement for the sale of the property to you and a note with a five-year balloon. I, I can't okay. even imagine that's an hour of legal Good. work. But that that's how I would do it. Um, that's said by a non-lawyer recommending that path. I think okay. that so is the best. Do I need to involve a title company? Sorry? Do I need to involve a title company at this point? I don't know. I think that's something you okay. go with. I defer to the advice of the real estate lawyer on that. I mean, you're going to be paying a lawyer anyway. You might as well get him or her to advise you on that. Sure. But I I love this whole thing because you're in the process of rebuilding your credit. You have an opportunity for ownership of where you live and the opportunity to make money as a landlord. That sounds like a win all the way around. When you have a question for me on the Clark Howard Show, go to Clark.com slash ask. And Joel, who do we have an Ask Clark from? Clark, this one's from Chad. He says, what's the best credit card on the market that doesn't have an annual fee? There's one card that has remained, in my opinion, the best card in the country year after year after year. has a lot of more aggressive competition now, but it is the Fidelity Investments American Express card. pays 2% cash back that automatically goes into a Roth account or an IRA an investment account, so or a, a 529 college savings plan account. So the money is, is not designed to be spent. It's designed to help you build up money that you save one of those three ways. But it may not be the card, oh, no annual fee, but it may not be the best card for you. There is a great tool called creditcardtuneup.com that is legit, doesn't take under-the-table kickbacks like most of the credit card comparison sites unfortunately do. You can go to Credit Card Tune-Up, put in your actual charge pattern. If you'll take the time and figure out how much you spend in each of the categories there and what your typical monthly charge volume is, Credit Card Tune-Up will show you the best card for you to have or, in many cases, the best combination of two cards because there may be a card that gives you great bonuses in certain areas like i have one from sam's club that gives me five percent cash back on gasoline three percent cash back on restaurants gives me a big cash back on travel but only one percent on other things so a combination of two cards often under the credit card tune-up algorithm will beat one card you'll be able to see the best reward cards for you right there my name is raven professional wrestling superstar world-class idiot and raconteur extraordinaire join me for my new podcast the raven effect every monday here on the jericho network on podcast one we'll be covering current events and any and all topics that can be properly bantered download and listen to the show on podcast one.com the podcast one app or subscribe on itunes quote the raven nevermore I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to be empowered with knowledge that'll help you save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com, our website, it has information on so many different topics, and we have our message boards where people help each other. 
with advice and information on so many different topics. We also have a message board that's designed for you to help me, to guide me. It's called Clark Stinks, and I love that we have Clark Stinks. It gives me an opportunity to learn from you and to improve the quality of the advice I give, particularly when you think the quality of advice I give really is trashy or stinks, you give me the chance to improve. So you go to Clark.com, and where do you go at Clark.com, Krista? You go to, there's a, at the top menu on the, on the main homepage, Clark.com, there's something that says connect. And when you click on connect, it drops down and you can see uh, the message boards are right there. And Clark Stinks is a message board. So you go there, and you can let me know how I am not serving you well. And then weekly, Krista goes through the posts you put on Clark Stinks and shares them with you here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. We're right. going to start with today. Well, I think we should revisit one you promised to last week in Clark Stinks. This one. Clark stated that a person could use their Roth IRA as an emergency fund. The problem with that is that the money needs to be in it for five years or face taxation, which would be an actual double tax on the money, seeing that it's after-tax money to begin with. Okay, so with a Roth IRA, you're allowed to withdraw your contributions at any time. Your earnings have to stay in the plan. But your actual contributions, that's money that you can draw on as needed, and you can feel comfortable and confident. I went back after, we've had two posts recently about withdrawals from Roth IRAs, I went back and I read the rules again, so unless I don't comprehend well, I stick with my prior that you can withdraw your contributions at any time. Not your earnings, your contributions. Hi, Clark. I can smell your burnt black heart coming through the radio waves. Wow. Intense. Burnt black heart. Woo! You've stated that you only support a government health care bill that provides catastrophic coverage for everyone. I agree it would go a long way to reduce bankruptcies and overall financial disasters as a result of high medical bills. However, without basic protection, many, if not most, Americans could not afford annual doctor checkups, or even worse, would wait longer to visit a doctor for issues. This would, of course, result in many medical issues not being addressed timely and therefore lead to serious problems that could have been prevented or at least addressed early in the disease state. Even if you feel adults should fend for themselves, at least consider kids of poverty-stricken parents that don't have a choice and would suffer greatly from the lack of basic medical care. I appreciate that post very much. And on the health care thing, the reason I've talked about having a government-provided catastrophic level of coverage is when you look at what has made the health insurance market so difficult over the decades, it's been who pays when somebody ends up with a serious illness or a chronic illness. And that has been the number that's been impossible for insurance actuaries to get their arms around and has also led to instability in some of the exchanges where you end up in what's known as a death spiral where as the premiums get more expensive, people drop out except for people who have something really wrong with them, what's known as adverse selection. 
So by taking out of the equation the cost of the catastrophic illnesses and then creating a free market for everything else, I think that you end up with overall a much more affordable health care situation, particularly if you eliminate employer involvement in health care coverage at all. Now, on the issue of subsidies, I stayed out of that. But if people are then buying coverage for everyday kind of things, that moves into the political process that I've tried to stay out of. But what do you do about people that are ultra-low income? Do you provide a subsidy to them for the purchase of everyday health coverage? I would say I'm going to leave that to the political and philosophical discussion. Clark's easy button is emitting twice the amount of cow manure sounds and smells. Clark reports how easy it is to get into, to get a college credit card. After his 21st birthday, my son applied for his first credit card. He was turned down by three of Clark's girlfriends he raves about, our local credit union, our giant monster credit union, and our online insurance slash banking company. They all said he had to show income. Wait, so we got USAA, <laughs> uh, Navy Federal, and then the local credit union. They How all, did I do? Did I name I don't, them right? I, they, I don't know. Okay. They all said she had to show income in the past year and because my that he had to show income. And because my son did volunteer work in summer school the previous summer, he didn't have any. We applied for two college cards and were turned down for the same reason. I finally called an online bank and the agent said to enter any reasonable amount for income. He was able to get a low credit, high annual fee card. Ironically, he now gets a weekly application for a pre-approved card in the mail from one of the large credit card companies. My oldest daughter, when she was in college, got turned down for the first college credit card she applied for as well. And the reason she got turned down is they could find no record of her. Now, the alternative I can recommend if you are getting a weird response, because that I hear so many different anecdotal kind of things about the college credit cards. And so I would say that the easiest way to smooth a path for your son or daughter is to make them an authorized user on one of your cards first. Don't give them the plastic, just make them an authorized user. And then it might smooth the entry point for them getting a college credit card because income in theory, is not supposed to be required for a full-time college student applying for his or her first card. Clark doesn't stink, but his Facebook post on fixing a blown incandescent does. Throw away that old bulb and replace it with an LED. You'll buy 20 more incandescents to last as long as one LED and use only one-sixth of the energy. Over the long haul, that's a lot of money. Thanks for your many years of service to us. Take care, Greg. Greg, <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, one of the things about Clark.com and what then in turn we post on Facebook is it's supposed to be a wide variety of opinions about money. And one of our writers is a big fan of traditional light bulbs, even though I'm all LED. So I think it's important that we have that variety. I also think Theo, it's Theo. He's cheaper than you are, perhaps. He writes a lot of money-saving articles that people love. <laughs> right. Theo is, and he is an incredible writer. Yes. He's going to win a Pulitzer Prize someday. He's such an amazing writer. But anyway. He figured out how to fix an incandescent. <laughs> but, uh, but the poster's right. Theo's paying so much extra money in electricity that he'd be better off ditching that and going LED. But 
for people who love the traditional bulbs, that's why we have the article on Clark.com and we had on our Facebook post how to fix one. I would never do that because I believe the only right answer to the question is always LED. I recently heard a caller ask Clark for advice on the high cost of phone calls for those with loved ones in jail or prison. Clark sympathized, and he was right in a sense. There's really nothing anyone can do unless they find a way to sway a politician to take up this fight. But I wanted to share a website with Clark and the team to share with anyone that may have a loved one who is incarcerated. It's www.prisontalk.com slash forums. So it's prisontalk.com slash forums. So message boards. The resources there are invaluable to those who have never encountered the criminal justice system before. There are forums that provide support for the families, emotional and informational, as well as those who are facing prison time prior to sentencing and those who've just been released. The information found there is not typically known by most attorneys because once you lose the case, the attorney's connection is pretty much over. More importantly, there are resources there to help the inmate once he or she is released on what to expect in the job market and how to deal with those obstacles and what to expect from the various probation and parole officers. This information is often provided by current and former probation and parole officers, so it's very valuable. And Clark is 100% correct about the high cost of these phone calls making no sense. The opposite of addiction is connection. Relationships are what keep ex-cons and drug addicts from reoffending. If the support network is there, chances of reoffending go way down. Here, here. I, I am a big believer in the programs around the country that have done phenomenal work helping people with reentry into society who have done the crime and done the time. What's the expression? Yeah. Do the do the crime, do, do the time, mm-hmm. whatever it is. I think something like that. And so when you're done with your obligation to society for what you did wrong, it's so important that we make it possible for people to reconnect and become part of productive society again. And cutting people off from their families with these punitive long-distance charges is one of those things that takes us completely the wrong way. And I'm so proud of the people who work in these organizations that help people with reentry into society after they have served their time. A father called in to inquire about options to fund his son's next year of college. His son was finishing his first year of community college and wanted to transfer to a four-year college the next year. Oh, I knew I was going to get posts on that call. Go ahead. Clark doesn't really stink here, but I felt he could have done a much better job to educate. It's highly likely the son does not understand the implications of taking $41,000 in student loans per year for a bachelor's degree. Instead, you abruptly ended the call after telling the father that the student aid letter was take it or leave it. This was a moment where you can really make a huge difference in someone's life, and I feel you fell flat on your face. I think this is a point where you found out, find out what the son is planning on doing for work after college and provide them with a real-life picture of what the son's life will be like after graduation, paying back $123,000 in student loans. Then paint the picture of what life is like if he chooses other options. One more year at community college, maybe a different community college, maybe a state four-year college that would require less than forty-one k per year. Have a little longer conversation. Maybe it's just me personally, but I wanted to know if the son had a plan for his future or if he's one of those I go to college because that's what everyone does sort of people. If he's a floater, he needs to stay in community college and go to a cheaper state school. Wasting all that money before he's mature enough to know what he's doing with his life is a huge mistake. Respectfully, Matthew from Mass. Matthew from Mass, that 
was a beautiful and articulate post. And that call was one that I felt like there was never enough time for me to address. So I'm so glad that you took time to post about the risk of taking on all that debt. Yes, Krista. Hey, Clark. I heard this cost-saving measure, and you're glad you've never suggested it. If you did, you would truly stink. Having to pay for baggage fees is a bit of a bind and an added expense we could all do without. But this guy has got life figured out. Matt Botton recently decided to avoid EasyJet's 45-pound charge to check an extra bag for his flight to Reykjavik by putting on all of his clothes. Well, I actually did put on additional clothes to stay under the weight limit for carry-on bag for Ryanair, and it was July, and it was really hot, and I was wearing um, three shirts, a sweater, and two pair of slacks to stay under the weight limit, which is funny that it was okay for me to weigh too much, but my bag, well... It wasn't okay for it to weigh more than, I think it was eight kilos. And I made it, but I sure was uncomfortable. I want to hear your posts. Please go to Clark.com and go to Connect. And then you'll see when you bring that window open, you'll see the message boards. And go to the Clark Sinks board and let me know how I can serve you better. Jeff joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jeff. How are you today? Hey, Clark. Hey, doing real good. I had a question about a credit freeze for my children. Okay. My health insurance company sent a letter and offered to do to pay for a credit freeze for, um, I guess, my children, the 13 and 14. And, and not for I, you as an adult, only for your kids. Only, only for the children. After a lot of the security breaches, we had taken your advice, and me and the wife put a credit freeze on, but it just seemed back then a kind of a hassle, like a big hassle to try to send all that information in about the children. It um, is a hassle, Jeff. It is a pain with the kids to freeze their credit. Now, I want to give credit, though, to your health insurer that after a breach, they're actually offering to do something that means something, because with kids... You can't really accomplish anything with the credit monitoring. I'm not a fan of credit monitoring anyway, but you can't accomplish anything with credit monitoring with a kid because usually they don't have a credit file to monitor. And so the first time you're aware of a problem is way past too late when somebody's already breached your child's identity and they've had a blast pretending they're your child. So the, the insurer has done the right thing here my question is would you at their age like well, I, I don't i don't know if they go get a job if they need you know they're going to check their credit or right. you know at the how old are your um, kids again 13 and 14 13 and 14 so the real issue comes for your kids probably at age 16 would be right so if there's been a significant data breach with your insurer is there was i, I remember that I would say if you can handle the hassle, go ahead and do the paperwork because you can't do it like an adult where you just go online and bam, in just a couple of minutes, you have it frozen. Right. You have to send in documentation proving that you have the right to do it and it's done like an old process before the internet existed. I think it's worth doing so for what would be a minimum two, three-year period 
Okay. In order to protect them, because kids are far more likely to have their identity stolen than an adult. By one study, 30 times more likely. Okay. Even though it's a paperwork nightmare to do it, I think if you can put up with it, I would take them up on the free credit freeze. Okay. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. Hey, everyone. I'm Maggie McGrath, a staff writer at Forbes magazine and your new host for a show called Forbes on Trump. Politicians are all talk, no action. I'll be speaking with the editors and writers who are reporting on the 45th president. We'll hear what they're finding out about his wealth, his business associates, and the ways in which he and his policies are affecting the economy, consumers, and all aspects of the business world. Somebody has to come out and tell it like it is. Along the way, we'll dive into Forbes archives, which contain decades of information that will add context to the current White House administration. So listen to this. Listen to this. That's Forbes on Trump on Podcast One. Subscribe now at iTunes, and don't forget to rate, review, and share. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. I'm so glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's where you gain information and empowerment, and we do it together. Our show is devoted to you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. If you love deals, check out ClarkDeals.com. Do you know who Kim Commando is? She is one neat, smart woman. And she is an expert on explaining technology and computer capability to normal earthlings who are not techies. She has been writing recently about how to properly background check yourself or if you're trying to background check somebody else. Because you may wonder, why would you want to background check yourself? You never know what somebody is going to be checking up on you on. Could be for a promotion at work. Could be you're applying to a school, a graduate school, whatever. And one of the things they do is they check you out, see what the web has about you. Sometimes there'll be stuff that's just flat out wrong. You want to know. And maybe there's somebody who's come into the neighborhood and you just have a bad feeling about them. You want to know more about them. You're just nosy. So one thing you should do, it's something we do on the show when we're trying to find out something about someone, is you don't just put in somebody's name. You put in somebody's name with quotation marks around it. And so when you do that, it gives you much more targeted information than if you just put in somebody's name. And you can even put in somebody's city, and you'll be in a position where you may find more stuff. You know, if somebody has an unusual name, it's very easy. Oh, this is so funny. I'm sorry, I got completely distracted. I put in my name just to see what would pop up, and immediately what popped up are some financial people that, that write books, do TV, whatever. And then... 
a picture of Kim Commando. <laughs> How does Google know I'm talking about Kim right now? And then there it is. That is weird. Google knows all. Anyway, the other one that she really likes is one I think we mentioned in passing a long time ago is Peak U. P-E-K-U.com. And Peak U will help you find out information on people you're looking for information on. And it does a very thorough index for the person that you're trying to find information on. And there are people who sometimes I'll have a reason to search for something we're doing on the show, and I don't find out much about them online. But if you keep searching around, trying different things like Peak, you might find some very Peak you. You may find some very useful things. Joel, what have you found? Well, Clark Peak you says that I'm five years older than I am, and it says I'm a she. You're a she? Apparently. That's what PQ says. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm fascinated. I'm looking at PQ and seeing what does come up. And, well, there's some stuff here that's uh, not so accurate on me either. And that is a key point. Remember what I said about people backgrounding you? And that's why you want to check? So, Joel, if you're not looking for a job right now, it probably doesn't matter as much that they think you're older and a woman. Right. But if an employer sees that, I don't know. Who knows what they're going to think? Right. So that's why it's important for you to check out yourself. What does the Internet think about you? And know that the Internet is not fact. It's only information which is a big difference and one that I wish potential employers running background on people would always remember. Dave is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm doing good, Clark. How are you today? Great. So, Dave, you were trying to sell a car. Is that right? Well, what I had was an old military vehicle, and I had posted it on a military web form. And I received an email about a week and a half after I posted it from um, someone in Nigeria, and they wanted to buy my military vehicle. I had it for sale for ten grand. They were going to sell me, send me fifteen grand, and I needed to wire them five thousand dollars back, and then I could keep the ten thousand dollars. Okay, that's funny because that is a pretty large amount in the Nigerian check scams. Well, and that's what I thought, but I didn't just fall off the turnip truck yesterday, and I knew it was probably a scam, but I decided to see if I could uh, beat the bad guys at their own game. So I said, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I emailed him back, gave him my name, my post office box number, and a cell phone, and said, go ahead and mail the check. And he, two days later, I received a check um, on a two- or three-day next-day delivery on one of the big delivery companies, and... It was from Nigeria, and I looked at it. It was about $50 in shipping to get it to the U.S., and it was a check from a local bank 
for the $15,000. Uh, and I thought, wow, this is interesting. I didn't know they had this local bank over in Nigeria. <laughs> so I took it to the uh, bank, and, of course, the bank said, yeah, this is a forgery. Can we have it? And I said, sure. And I thought that that was going to be the end of it, and, and um, I'd never hear anything again. But about two days later, I got a phone call, and you could tell it was from somewhere overseas, a very heavily uh, accented foreign person. And they wanted to know if I had received the check because they hadn't received their $5,000 wire, and I needed to wire it immediately. And I said, well, no, I, I haven't received the check. Are you sure you sent it to the right place? And he confirmed it. And I said, I don't have a check. So he said, I'll send you another one. And two days later, I got another check from the local bank for, and another $50 worth of postage on his part. So I was able to bilk the bad guys out of $100 in uh, postage and. I didn't uh, lose anything, but it was a it was a small defeat for I know what is a big scam that goes on. But it was pretty funny, and I don't. You're a don't tough guy. People, You're a tough guy. The crook has your cell phone number, only has your post office box. But wow, you're you're playing with uh, who can be pretty tough guys. So I hope you're right. tough yourself. Well, and I was single in the military and all that stuff. He wasn't. There were there was nothing I was afraid of for okay. for this guy. But it was. Uh, it was pretty funny, and it was kind of fun to do. It was just a small, you know, a small defeat for the bad guys, but it was uh, it was a great feeling to know that we finally got a, got them at their own game for a little bit. But well, like I thank said, you I for your service, by the way. Which branch did you serve in? I was in the Air Force. Well, thank you for that. Absolutely, but uh, like I said, I don't recommend people doing it, but uh, it was fun to do. Well, I'm I'm glad you you tied up some of his time and you cost him some of his money. You got to think about how profitable. These scams are, Dave and I have been discussing, that someone would go to all these elaborate lengths, pay for international expedited shipping of a phony check, spending $55 just to send a phony check to you, which means there's a big return on investment. A lot of people that believe it and wire back the money, only later finding out that the check that they've received is totally bogus. Alex is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Alex. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Alex. You are a landlord. Yeah. Yep. Been doing it for a few years now and still learning my way. Uh, but I, hey, thanks for taking my call. I really sure. appreciate the show. Thank you. Uh, the question I have is that my first arrangement I had was with a person who shared the same bank as, as me, and it was very easy where we just, you uh, electronically transferred funds. And now I have a second property, and uh, currently both tenants like to play by, pay by check. And I wanted to ask you, what have you found to be the most effective arrangement uh, to offer your tenants for electronic payment of uh, for the rent? So if the tenants were calling me, I'd tell them, if you asked them to do this, I'd tell them not to do it because there aren't good protections under the law for them. But if you go to your bank and you say, here's my situation, I have these tenants, I want them to pay by um, what's known as ACH, Automated Clearing House, and I need to have ACH authorization forms from you, and then they would sign a form authorizing the automatic debiting on the first of the month or third or whatever, whatever your deal is with them, and the money would be debited from their account and automatically deposited into yours. Great. So a little bit different method than with both the 
Renner and you being at the same bank, it goes through the third-party clearinghouse. So and that's known saying, as though, ACH. For the renter, it is not in their best interest uh, to do the electronic transfer. It's, it's really better to, to do the check. Yeah, for them, it's better for the check because if you were not, and remember, I'm saying if they had called me, I don't, you know, and they're calling, my <laughs> landlord's asking me to do blah, blah, blah. You, once you have that ACH authorization, there's really no protection for them. Oh. If you were not an honest person, you could just take money pretty much at will. Wow. So, so and is there anything like a PayPal that could, that could provide them that protection? There uh, is. There's no method that today really would would get it done easily that would that would do what you wanted. See, in your case, I'm not worried because here you are. Right. I can already hear in your voice that you want to make sure that you protect them. But there is something that I think it would work for this situation called Square Cash. Okay. which is a free method of paying money from one person to another, and it's square.com slash cash. And right. they would essentially email you their rent each month. Oh. Well, thank you, Clark. So look at that and see if that might work. But again, having talked to you, I'm not worried about you setting up ACH with them because I can already tell in your voice and by your comments that you're not looking to take advantage of anybody. And, Tom, you have a when-to-buy question for me about airfare. Is that right? That's right, uh, Clark. And by the way, thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, in October, I'm heading out for my class reunion out in California, and I'm just uh, wondering when would be the best time to look for the reasonable uh, ticket prices. said so going in October? Yes, sir. Well, first of all, congratulations on your 10th reunion. Thank you. <laughs> or whatever number it is. 50. What is it? 50. 50. Yes, sir. Wow. Wow. And you look so much better than all your classmates. I know that, yeah. and, but, you know, don't tell them. Okay. So October to California, you're going to want to look starting around typically the 1st of August. 1st of August. That's when the airlines start thinking about their after Labor Day sales. And make sure you subscribe, if you really want to get the best deal, subscribe to the southwest.com email alert, and then the ones that come from the various airlines as well that serve your market. And as soon as you see a really great deal, if it's really cheap, ignore my August recommendation and go ahead and buy it. Becky is with us. Hello, Becky. I'm glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Clark. Hope you're having a great day. I am, and I hope yours is the best ever. Awesome, awesome. Uh, I have a quick, quick question for you. We have a four-year-old granddaughter who lives with us along with her mother, and we're looking at, um, to start this year, putting money back in an account for the granddaughter um, and just putting money in it every year um, as much as we can. But I want something that, not necessarily for college, but something that she could use when she gets 18 and a little bit older that is just where she can get to it. But we're not sure where to start, what to look for, where to get it. Okay, so the funny thing about it, and you already said the key thing, not necessarily for college, because the system is so easy 
when you're putting money aside for a kid's college and such a pain when you're putting money aside for something other than college for a minor child. You can open what's known as a custodial account. And how much money are you thinking of putting aside for your grandbaby? Well, we wanted to start this year to put $1,000. Perfect. I got it. Okay. We're ready. All right. Okay. So for $1,000, I would like for you to open a custodial account with the giant mutual fund cooperative called Vanguard. You ever heard of Vanguard? Yes. So Vanguard's a a co-op for investing. It's owned by the people who have accounts there, which is why it's such a great place to invest money. And 1000 is the minimum to get in the building. Okay. And there's a great account for a minor child called the Star Fund. Okay. So you can open an account, and you can, you can be the owner of it, Becky, or if you prefer, you can have your, uh, by owner, I mean uh, the custodial. You can choose to do that role. You can choose for your daughter to have that role. You can decide which one of you you want to do it. And then you you name the child is essentially the beneficiary of the custodial account. And the the idea is the account is managed for her benefit. And even if uh, she needed money, let's say at some point you decided, you know, we'd like our granddaughter to go to private school. And you have money in this custodial account. You could use it for that purpose before she's 18. Okay. But then when she's 18, or in some states 21, the account becomes hers to use however she wishes. Sometimes that'll be a good thing with someone of that age. Other times they might not use the money in a way you'd be happy about, but they would have control. Right. Okay. Yeah, but we the, wanted to make sure that it was something that, you know, she could get and not that her mother could get into. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you were silent when I said about the mom owning it, so this would do that. Because you would be the owner, essentially, for the benefit of your granddaughter. Okay. And the Star Fund is a well-diversified, one-stop shop for investing it's a neat, neat thing. You look at the pie chart for it at Vanguard.com, you'll see why I love it as a moderate risk way to put money away that over time becomes higher reward and steadily lower risk. Perfect for your granddaughter. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at PodcastOne.com. That's PodcastONE.com. Here's an interesting fact for you. There are nearly one million new books published in the U.S. alone every year. So if you like to read, how do you choose what you're going to read? Well, that's where Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews comes in. You see, Kirkus has been one of the top book review publications for over 80 years. They do a deep dive on thousands of titles every year, including interviewing best-selling authors and telling you what might be the hot new release before everyone else knows. And it's coming to Podcast One in just a few weeks. So keep your eyes and ears open for Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. 
but the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbour of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them in bad ways. It was always, even when I said hello, they never seemed to speak back to you. It was just like kept themselves to themselves and that was about it. The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.